Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. All right, we're ready to get after it this morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, we're going to be continuing our, our series here in the book of 1 Peter. Today we're going to dive into uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. We're going to end out uh, this first chapter of 1 Peter. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn there, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. And if you've been with us here for a bit, you know that we've been walking line by line and verse by verse through this letter, uh, this first letter that Peter wrote, the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. Asia Minor, this place where, where Europe and Asia come together, where is now modern day Turkey. Um, Peter is writing this letter to these Christians who are being violently persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And as a, as a church body, we have gleaned a lot from this from this book already, from this, just this first chapter, more so in the application of where our hope should be placed and strengthened when we are being persecuted for our faith. And we discussed last week that though we will be persecuted as Christians, we know that as we walk against the grain of the world, we will be persecuted for our faith. We know that we as Christ followers have a living hope in Jesus Christ. A living hope in the inter- eternal inheritance we gained through Jesus, through the blood of Christ. And also the joy that this promise brings us. That's part of our hope. It, it gives us joy that we have an inheritance in heaven with the King of Kings. And finally, we learned last week, we have a solid, concrete hope. One that can never be moved in our salvation. Right, What Jesus did for us on the cross and what it gained us as his followers. And through this, we have a hope that no matter what persecution comes our way, no matter how bad it gets, even if it costs us our lives, we know that we have an eternal life in Jesus. Right? We, even if the worst thing that could happen, as, he's, as Peter's writing to these persecuted Christians in Asia Minor, the worst thing that happened is that it costs you your life and you spend eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in paradise. Right, that's our hope. This morning, Peter is going to pull, pick up right where he left off. In fact, uh, look with me in, in verse 13 of how Peter adds to his teaching coming out of our study last week. Verse 13 in chapter 1, he says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And notice as Peter opens up this section of text, he opens up with this word, therefore. This word, therefore, or in some of your translations might say, wherefore, means the same thing, is a conjunctive adverb that shows cause and effect, right? It's the effect side of a cause. And so last week, Peter was discussing this hope we have in Jesus, this living hope. This week, Peter's going to show us what effect that should have. He's telling us here there is an action that should come out of the living hope we have in Jesus. And the first thing he says after therefore is prepare your minds for action. If you're reading the King James Version today, the King James translation of this, the KJV text says instead of prepare your minds, it says gird up the loins of your mind. But what does that mean? What does it mean to prepare your mind or gird up the loins of your mind? Well, how how many of y'all remember these tennis shoes from from the 90s? Anybody? Any 90s kids in here? 
All right, one. Okay, we got a few, right? These were the hottest thing when I was a kid, right? Early 90s, everybody on the playground who was good at basketball had on some Reebok pumps. And these were all the rage, and all the cool kids had them. And, and, and if you don't know what they are, these were a popular tennis shoe in the early 90s that Reebok made that a bunch of NBA players started wearing. And you could wear them like a, like a normal tennis shoe. You could go to school. They were your nice school shoes. But then when you hit the playground at recess, you could reach down to the tongue and pump those bad boys up, and you're, you're, you just became Michael Jordan. Right, when, you, when you would reach down, and, and on the tongue, there was like this little ball that had air in it, and you would pump it, use it as a pump, and the shoe would tighten around your foot. And in my opinion, made you jump higher, run faster, right? go to the hoop quicker, made you a better basketball player. At least that's what Reebok sold us. I remember seeing NBA basketball players, before they would drive the lane, they would bend down and, and pump those bad boys up and, and be ready to take it to the hole. They would, they, would, they would be at tip-off, circled around, getting ready to start the game. They would reach down, pump them up. They're getting ready for battle, right? They're tightening that, that shoe. They're girding up that shoe around their foot so that they can move quicker, be more athletic, and be victorious. And this time that Peter's writing this letter, men wore tunics, right? Like a, like a long robe that went all the way down to their ankles. Well, you're about to do something athletic, like maybe go to battle. You really don't want to go to battle in a robe. I would not think, I've never been to battle, but I would think that you don't want to go to battle in a robe. Right? You can't move, you can't be athletic. You can't, you can't cut side to side, you can't run. And so men during this time, before they went into battle, they would take this long robe, they would bunch it together, they would pull it between their legs, and then they would wrap it around and tie it around their waist, essentially turning a robe into gym shorts. Right, you don't want all that cloth around your legs, so you would do what they called girding up your loins. Right, you would gird up this fabric and tie it around your waist so that when you went to battle, you could move effectively and be victorious. So Peter is telling us here, when he says, gird up the loins of your mind, he's saying, get ready. Right, be alert. Right, prepare your minds for the persecution that's coming. Prepare your minds to act. All right, so we talked about the hope we have in Jesus before, last week. This week, Peter's saying, here's how this should make you act. The first thing you need to do is gird up the loins of your mind. You need to get your mind ready. And remember that your hope is full on the grace you have obtained through Jesus. And act accordingly to that hope. He's telling us that this living hope in Jesus should affect the way we live our lives. And so he's preparing our minds to do that. He's saying this living hope should living hope should action. Right, the girding up the loins of your mind for the persecution that's coming and how you're going to act during that persecution. Particularly in seasons of this persecution. Last week, Peter was telling us and his original audience that he was writing to, no matter what persecution the world throws at you, remember you have hope. And today he's going to continue on and show us that the living hope we have in Jesus must motivate us to live a holy life. All right, this, what Peter's going to describe as a holy life. We must be motivated through our hope in Christ. Right? Therefore, because of the hope we have in Jesus, we must now live a life dedicated to being holy, striving 
for holiness. The text today that we're going to be digging into is a call to be holy. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what does it mean to be holy, and am I capable of doing this? All right, this word holy means set apart. Right? By definition, the word holy means to be set apart. This call to be holy that Peter's going to discuss, it's a call to act differently. And as Christ followers, when we act differently, especially in persecution, we will be set apart from the world. Today, the Apostle Peter is going to show us what it looks like, how to live a holy life. In fact, he's going to give us three traits of living a holy life in this text today. And we're going to dive right in. The first trait is this. As a people with a living hope in Jesus, we are to live a life being obedient to the Lord. Let's get our eyes on the text and see this here in verses 14 through 17. Peter says this. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile." So let's break this down here, line by line, verse by verse. Peter opens up this section, these three verses, uh, by calling Christ's followers obedient children. Now, whether you have kids in this room or not, all of us were once a child. And my wife and I, we have, we have four kids, and we also were children. So we know that children aren't always obedient, uh, our four children, they know how, how dearly I love them. They know I would do anything to protect them. They know how much I care about them and want what's best for them. And I'm sure every parent in this room feels the same way about their child. But my kids still disobey me daily. All right, it happens all the time. It's probably going to happen before we leave here today, so keep your eyes open. They disobey me. Now, though they, they disobey me, I'm still their father. I still love them dearly. I still have grace for their disobedience, but I desperately want them to obey. I desperately want them to be obedient to me. I want them to to honor me the way that God calls them to, to honor me. And when they are obedient, it pleases me. This is what Peter's calling for us to do in verse 14. He's calling us to continue in this persecution, continue in the obedience we had when we submitted ourselves to Jesus. All right, if you're in this room right now and you're a Christ follower, there was a a point in time in your life where you said, I am no longer going to control my life. I am no longer going to pursue the lust of my flesh, the the old me. I'm going to hand my life and its direction over to Jesus. I'm going to put my faith in something other than myself and in something other than my own passions, my own desires. I'm going to put my life in the hands of Christ. And Peter is saying that same obedience you had to do that, have every single day in your life. Right? Continue that obedience. Saying don't be like the old you, stuck in the lust of the flesh, in the passions of the world, but continue to be obedient. And Peter tells us in verse 15 
what our focus should be on. Right? As, we are, as we're trying to be obedient to the Lord, what should our focus be on? He tells us in, in verse 15, he says, As he who called you is holy, also be holy in all your conduct. Now, this is a verse that Peter is pulling straight from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, which is a command that the Lord gave his people way back in the time of Moses. This is a call for us as Christ followers to keep our eyes constantly on Jesus and abide by him and abide in him. In Colossians chapter 3, the Bible says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. As Christ followers, in order to be obedient to the Lord, we must strive to obtain Christ's likeness, or what he, what Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter calls being holy. Now, if you've been in church all your life, this is probably a word you're familiar with. This word, Christ likeness. But if you're new to Jesus, you you're new to being a Christian, you're brand new to church, whatever it is, you may ask yourself, what does that mean? What does Christ likeness mean? Well, simply, the definition is this: as children of God. We want to strive to be just like our father. I mean, most of us, almost all of us, or every one of us has a father, right? Has a biological father. And for me, like, as I, as I grew up watching my father, I constantly was striving to be just like him. I wanted to do everything just like dad did. I wanted to shave my face just like dad did. At a young age, I remember just watching him do that and being mesmerized by it. I wanted to, to walk and talk like dad. But I wanted to strive to be like my father. This is what we should be striving for every day. We want to walk just like Jesus walked. We want to be just like Jesus. This must be what we're striving for. This call to be holy is a call to get our eyes on Jesus. Jesus who set the bar for holy living. If we're going to watch someone and mimic their moves, it should be Jesus. Jesus set the bar for how we should live our lives here on earth. And though we won't be perfect, and though we will fall short, we must strive every day to obey his commands and walk in his footprints. We must get our eyes first on his word. Right? We must bathe in his word, learn everything we can about how he walked how he loved, how he cared, how he shepherded people, and be just like him. We should try to mimic our father. So Peter states that we should live holy lives in obedience to the Lord. That we should mimic Jesus. We should strive for Christ-likeness in our walk with him. He next discusses why we should live in obedience. Look at me again in verse 17. It says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So Peter says here, if you call on the name of the Lord, if you are a follower of Jesus, he says to conduct yourself with fear in the time that you're here living on earth. Right, we talked a few weeks ago how our, this isn't our dwelling place, like this isn't where we belong. Those of us who are Christ followers, we belong in heaven with Jesus. So we are in exile in the world. And while we are here, Peter says we should live a life obedient out of fear 
of the Lord. But we serve a gracious and loving God. Yes. There are many verses in the Bible talk about the grace and love of the Lord. We serve a gracious and loving God. But we also serve a holy and a just God. A God who judges impartially. Right? The Lord will judge everyone equally. A judge that judges everyone justly. Right? The Lord is perfect, he is good, and he is just. He cannot be unjust. We will all be judged, even us, church, as Christians, we will all be judged. The Word of God tells us that. This judgment for those who gave their life to Jesus, for those of us who are saved in the blood of Christ, it doesn't determine salvation. Right? We know that God's, through God's Word that our salvation is determined solely on our faith in Jesus, but we will have to give an account for our lives. How well we obeyed Jesus and how well we obeyed his commands on earth. In fact, look with me at what the Apostle Paul says about judgment of believers. It'll be on the screen here behind me. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul is stating here that Christ is the foundation of our lives, and we as people, we build on top of that foundation. Now this gold and silver and precious stones that he's talking about are aspects of our life in which we are abiding in Christ. Right, we are abiding, we are being obedient to his word. We are, we are laying down a, a firm foundation on top of Jesus in our lives that, that goes right along with the commands in his word. We are living a life glorifying him with and through our actions. The wood, hay, and stubble that Paul is talking about are the acts of our lives that have questionable motivation or questionable conduct. All right, we know that as Christians, we're not perfect, right? We do things, we make mistakes. All right, this wood, hay, and stubble, Paul states, are the questionable conduct of our lives. The things we do in vain for our own self-gain. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus will test this life, this house we built upon him, and he'll test it with fire. We all know that wood, hay, and stubble burn. Like they burn away. It will only be the precious stones, the silver, and the gold that we have placed on the foundation of Jesus that will be left. So Peter is stating here in verse 17, live your life in fear of the Lord. Fear to disappoint him. Right? As a, as a, as a son, when I, would, when, I, when I was a kid, when I would walk throughout my life, one of my main goals as a son was to not disappoint my father, right? And so I did things a little out of fear, 
Like, I just don't want to disappoint dad. I would hate to dishonor my parents. That's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying, fear his power, fear his might, fear his justice. And as his children, let the fear of offending God, of of disappointing God, restrain us from the temptation of sin, from the temptation of our flesh. Let it put some guidelines, some guardrails on our lives. So we don't go over there. So I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I don't go over there. I don't watch that thing. I don't say those things. Right? This isn't a, 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 it's not a call to legalism. This is a call to holiness, to get our eyes on Christ and be motivated by not disappointing the Lord. That's what leads us towards living a life dedicated to living holy for the Lord. Psalm 28, 14 says, blessed, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. While we're in exile in this place, while we're here on earth in our time, in a place we don't belong, we must continue to fear the Lord. And from that fear comes obedience to God and his word. We're going to talk more about that here in a moment. As we continue in the word today, Peter has more to say about what it looks like to live a holy life. In verses 18 through 21, Peter's going to show us that as a people with a living hope in Jesus, we are to live a life remembering the gospel. Look with me at verses 18 through 21. He says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So Peter says here in verse 18, We must remember, we must know, we were ransomed from our futile ways. Now, you were dead before Jesus. If you're a Christ follower in here, before, you have a before story. When you share your testimony, there's a before Jesus story. Some of our before stories are little. Praise God for that. Some stories, my own included, are very long. have a very long before. But we all have a before story. We discussed, as we opened up the series a few weeks ago, the Bible tells us that in that before, we were dead to our sin. And some of us are in the before right now. We're sitting in this room in this deadness, under the weight of the deadness in our sin. The Bible tells us that all of us were born into a state of deadness, that our sin causes us to be enemies of God, and the penalty for this sin is death. Our eternal death is the penalty for the crime of our sin. Now, we just discussed that we serve a just God, right? That God is a just judge. He is holy and just, and since he is a just God, he is a holy God that must judge sinfulness accordingly. If he didn't judge sinfulness accordingly, he would be unjust, And we know through his word that he is not unjust. He is a just God. The penalty for sin is death. 
According to God's law, the penalty of sin is death. Something must die. Blood must be spilled. It is the law, and again, we serve a just God. In the Old Testament, the Lord gave the Israelite people a set of commands, which we call the Mosaic Law. And these people, for thousands of years, lived by this law. And a part of this law was instructions for how people would atone for their sins, how they would wash away their sins. Their sins. What they would do is they would go out to the field, and they would grab a, a lamb. And this lamb had to be perfect, without blemish or spot. It had to be a perfect lamb. And the Israelite people would sacrifice this lamb to atone for their sins. The death meant for them will be placed on this lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Peter is reminding the people here, the churches in Asia Minor, these persecuted people, and us today, that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb for all mankind. That we as humans are sinful and fall short, that we deserve a death a death sentence from God for our sin, that we are enemies of God, but Jesus came and took on that death sentence so we could be seen as righteous in God's eyes. We call this the propitiation of sin. He switched places with us. He took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. Jesus was the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. He is the atonement for our sin. The book of Hebrews calls it, says that he is a sacrifice offered once for all, one time for all mankind. And not only that, not only did Jesus take on the death that we deserved, the Bible also tells us that we were raised up with Jesus from that death so we could live eternally with him. He not only took on the death that he didn't deserve for us, but he gave us his inheritance. He made us co-heirs with him in heaven. So by the grace of God, through our faith in Jesus, we were saved by the precious blood of Christ. In this gospel that we just read, we have hope and faith in God who sent his only son to die for our sins. Peter is showing us here that as Christians who will be persecuted, he's showing the Christians in Asia Minor who will be persecuted, the gospel must saturate our hearts. The gospel of Jesus has to be in our hearts daily. We must constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. The gospel isn't a diving board into a Christian life. It's not something we just approach one time at the beginning of our Christian walk and jump off of, and we're like, all right, we're done. We're done. We have no more need for the gospel. The gospel is not a diving board. It's the pool we're swimming in. We must saturate ourselves with the gospel every single day. Persecuted or not, if life's going great, we must saturate ourselves with the gospel every single day. We must swim in it, church. He's reminding us, Peter is, the gospel must be used at the forefront of our mind daily. Think about the original audience of this letter. People were being tortured. We talked last week how we we saw that Nero, the emperor Nero, Nero of Rome, was was strapping Christians to poles in his garden and lighting them on fire to light up his gardens. These people are being violently persecuted. And Peter knew they needed the hope of the gospel every day, and it's no different for us. 
And if we're talking about living holy, which is where Peter is directing our eyes, right, to be more like Christ, to live a life dedicated to Christ, to being holy, to walking a life of holiness, it's a heck of a lot easier to live a holy life, not indulging of the flesh, not indulging in idols, when the fact that Jesus, who was perfect and never sinned, died for us, took on our death that we deserved, gave up his life for us, so that we could be seen as righteous, when that's at the forefront of our mind, it's a lot easier to live a holy life. We need a constant reminder. We will be constantly tempted by our flesh, by Satan, by the world every single day. The gospel has to live right here. It's got to be at the front of our mind every single day. As followers of Christ who are motivated to live holy lives, we must remember the gospel. That is the message Peter is conveying in this section of text. But he isn't done. He's got one more. He has one more point he wants us to see this morning, and that point's in verses 22 through 25. And the point is this. As Peter, I'm sorry, as people with a living hope in Jesus, we are to live a life loving one another. Look with me in verse 22. He says this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And right here, church. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter is now showing us the effect the gospel has on us as believers. The gospel, the effect the gospel has on motivating us to live holy. He states that you have a purified soul through your obedience to the truth. Right? We, we all were transformed by the gospel at one time. If you put your faith in Christ in this room today, you were transformed by the gospel. Your heart was transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And you were obedient to that. Your soul has been purified, and you are able to truly love. Right? Your old dead self was incapable of truly loving like Christ. But now, we as Christ followers contain the Holy Spirit. Right? If you're in this room, you've given your life to Jesus, you have obtained the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, which Paul says in Romans 5, God pours love into your hearts. Right? The Holy Spirit, in Romans 5, Paul says that it pours love, the love of Christ, into your hearts. So now that we have the ability to truly love, Peter says, go and love one another. Not only that, but he states how we are to love one another. He says, earnestly, from a pure heart, right? not fake, not falsely, not for self-gain. Not because it, just because it's Sunday, or not just because the pastor or a staff member's around. Like, this is, should be ingrained in us. The gospel has transformed our hearts to love like Christ. And we, every day, have our eyes on being like Christ, right? Being obedient to his word. Because you have a transformed heart that renewed you with the gospel, it should motivate you to truly love one another, because you have been born of this imperishable word, this word that never perishes. The gospel will never die. And in him you have placed all your faith and submitted your life to be an obedient follower. And he has commanded you to love. Jesus himself has commanded us to love one another. Look with me here. We'll have it on the screen. 
behind me, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus tells his disciples this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are called, church, to be transformed by the gospel as people who have been transformed by the gospel to love one another, specifically in seasons of persecution. Right? To walk side by side, loving one another. The gospel has transformed our hearts to be obedient and love one another as Jesus has called us to do. As we round out our time together this morning, and Peter has rounded out this chapter uh, in which he's talked about how the Lord has called you to be holy. In order to do this, Peter has talked about how we must live a life being obedient to God and his word, right? placing all our hope and faith daily in the gospel of Jesus, right? remembering the gospel, and loving one another just as the Lord has loved you and called you to do. Whether we are being persecuted or not, this is how we should live our lives every single day. Right? This has to be ingrained in us as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus. This is how we should live. If there's anything in your life right now running through your head as you're thinking about how you live life day in and day out that doesn't align with this, you have to make a change. All right, we have to shift our eyes away from the world, shift our eyes away from our own desires, our own wants, our own uh, fleshly desires, and get them on Christ and live how he lived. All right, let him be the bar. Let him be the example. Walk like Jesus. If he is walking in front of us, we want to put our feet in his footprints. The fact that we have a living hope in Jesus must motivate us to live like him. No matter the circumstances, no matter what persecution we get from living against the grain, this is a call to be holy and live like Christ. We must strive to be like our Father. If you're here with us this morning and you've given your life over to Jesus, whether that was last week or, or 50 years ago, it doesn't matter, and you are, you're struggling to live a life in obedience to the Lord. Right, in church, I've been there, right, as a young Christian especially. Right, you're struggling to live a life. You don't know what direction to go. You don't really, maybe you don't know how to follow the Lord. Like, I gave my life to him, but I don't know what to do next. You're struggling with being obedient, having a strong walk with Jesus. Or maybe you just want to get better at, at striving to live a called life to be holy. Grab the register today. Check the box that says you're interested in small groups. That is what we do. right? Our call as a Christ family, as a church body, is to come alongside one another, walk with each other, and help people get to know the Jesus that they follow and serve, walk like him, worship him, and bear each other's burdens through love for one another, as Jesus has called us to do. So if that's something you're struggling with in your life, I, I encourage you, please, get hooked up with a small group. We will get you ingrained in a small group that fits, a time that fits. But that's the action for today. Right? You need to get along, around believers and let us help walk you through how to live a life dedicated to being holy for Christ. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus... Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel. You don't really understand it. Maybe you've heard it a few times throughout your life, but it doesn't make sense to you. Maybe you have questions. You have questions about what Jesus did for you on the cross and why he did it. 
Open up that same register book, hunt it down before you leave today. Write your name, your contact information in it. And at the very bottom in the prayer request section, in all capitals, write the word LAMB. You do that, you turn it in today, we will set up a time one-on-one to sit down and talk about exactly what Jesus did on the cross, why he did it, what his motivation was, and how you can take the next steps of being free from sin, living eternally through Christ. And we will reach out to you, we will set up a time. Those are the action steps coming out of this. If you don't know Jesus, we will walk you through how you can be saved through the blood of Christ. And if you do know Jesus, this is a call to start living a life dedicated to being holy, to following Jesus, because persecution, if it's not there already, is coming. And Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind right. Get your mind focused. Let it be sober-minded. Let it be focused on following Jesus, even in times of persecution. So that's what we're going to pray for today. Pray with me, church. Father, we, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this, this time, Jesus, to just be with you and be in your word, Father, to, to glean from it, God, what you want us to glean from it. Lord, we thank you for your apostle Peter, that he wrote this letter, that we, and that it made its way to us in your, in your word, Father, that we could um, just see that we know, Father, that as, persec- as Christians we will be persecuted. And Lord, we just pray that you use this to strengthen us, that no matter what persecution comes our way, no matter what trials in life come our way, that we have a hope in you. And you've given us an instruction manual on how to live, how to live for you, how to live in a way that honors you. You have called us, Lord, in your word to be holy as you are holy. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that that is the strive on their heart this morning, myself included, Father. That you remove all the temptation, Lord, from our hearts. That we concentrate on the obedience we had to to give our lives over to you. And that we walk as your children and it's pleasing to you. Father, we pray that you would make our walks pleasing to you, God, that you would um, keep this desire burning in our hearts, that the gospel would just pour out of us and that we would resist sin and resist temptation just to honor you alone. Lord, I pray that we take from this message this week and we act, Lord. We act on it. Father, I pray if anyone in this room finally, Lord, does not know you, that today they just ask questions, that they just ask the questions. And prepare your people, Lord, to answer those questions with the gospel. And so, Lord, I I pray that you move in this city, you move in this church, you move in our families. Lord, that you would see an uprising of of salvation happen in this place. Lord, that those who do not believe in you, even those who persecute, would find you today. That they would see your gospel, they would hear it with new ears and a new heart. That it would renew them, that they would begin to follow you this very day. Father, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you, and we pray that you protect us throughout the week, that we walk with you closely, that our eyes are solely on glorifying you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.